Welcome to Second Cherry, almost a Eurovision podcast. We're back with another bonus episode. Hello and welcome to Second Cherry. I'm Monty. And I'm Matt. And this is the podcast that revives the songs that didn't make it to the Eurovision Song Contest. Each week, we take you through a different country's national final, and we pick the song that we think deserves a second chance, a second bite of the cherry. At the end of the series, you, our listeners, will vote for your favourites, and at our live event, we will crown the winner of the second cherry song contest. Woohoo! Woo! But all of that's to come. We are still in our bonus episodes, and this week we are giving you our third preview of this year's Eurovision songs. We're going to be looking at the Big Five plus the host entry from the Netherlands. So, Matt, we've done our first two preview episodes looking at the semi-finals we're on to the automatic finalists now the big five mm. and the host country which is the netherlands now we rattle through the other two because there have been a lot of songs to talk about there's fewer this time so i think we've got a little bit more time to just have a little think on what is the format of eurovision this year how's it going to be because obviously we're back after a cancelled year last year but we were promised quite early on that eurovision 2021 would take place somehow in some format and what we have at the moment is the scenario b of what were first four scenarios which is hoping to have acts in the netherlands possibly having a small socially distanced audience and possibly having some peripheral events happening but if things change we might move to a situation whereby none of the artists are actually in Rotterdam and what we get instead is the pre-recorded live on tape, as they're being called, performances, which are backups in case an artist can't get to the Netherlands or they get there and for some reason they're unable to perform uh, on the night. They'll be used instead. But we're getting a contest at least. We are, and I think the first thing that needs to be said, and I think it's really important that we say this, is that the people that are organising this contest, like, bloody hell, hats off to them. Because at any at every sort of stage of this planning process over the course of the last 12 months, and blah, 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 they have communicated properly. They've made it very clear about what could and can't be, but they've also been very careful about what they said. I, I feel like it's been... A, really difficult year uh, to plan something like this and they've absolutely nailed it I, I have to say you know the EBU and the uh, the host broadcasters you you finally get Eurovision coming to the Netherlands and then it gets cancelled then you've got to try and do it it's a faff a real faff in a, a nightmare situation and I just feel like they just yeah I feel really sort of blessed that they've they've really done this proud really in terms of organisation I would agree with that, actually. I think it's you know, been really difficult because everyone's wanted to chip in. It amazes me how many Eurovision fans have become, you know, epidemiologists and <laughs> pandemic planners, uh, public health experts with, you know, something to chip in with their view on how things should go. And I think they, they have taken a, a really, you know, a, a very 
considered view of this. Lots of different options uh, which can be added to or taken away um, at all of the different levels that are all the component parts depending on how the situation is going to be. Fingers crossed that the artist gets go. They won't get a, a normal Eurovision with all of the fans on the ground and you know the the events that they can go to and all of the bars um but at least they would get to be there and experience this as a live event which is how you know for them it is meant to be mm, and i think as well we, we won't really know what it's going to look like really until the day because the whole situation is when if artists are going to travel to the netherlands there's then a process in place whereby you can go to your rehearsal and you go on stage and you're in your hotel and you do all these normal things that you would expect from a delegation and the artists. Think any given moment, someone could contract COVID, in which case that, you know, that whole delegation, that whole team who are bubbled, they can't perform. So this is why we have the backup tape. So it's really interesting to me that this year we won't know until the morning of Eurovision on that Saturday who's going to be performing live and then what tapes are going to be used. It's a bit of an odd Yeah, thing. unless it's all tapes, unless the decision's been taken out of their hand before yes. we know it's all tapes. But yeah. it makes it, there's so many elements we don't know about yet. Are we going to, you know, even if your credit is as online press, through the online press centre, are there going to be actually any rehearsals to be able to watch? Because if it's all live on tape, there's nothing to rehearse. There's so many variables. But I, I think, you know, really well done to them to try and get this going. You know, it's still such a shame for the Netherlands and for um, the people in Rotterdam that they're not going to have the full impact of the circus rolling into town and the Euro Village and all of the public events that people can get behind. Um it, yeah, it's it just feel a, a shame for that, but because most people experience this as a TV show, that's what we're going to get. And I think if we look, we're obviously going to talk about the national finals. That's what they would do. It's the whole of our podcast, so that will be coming over the summer. But if we look at some of the national finals that happened this year, those that went into a studio managed to produce really good entertaining TV shows. You know, Melfest. Um, uh, the Norwegian MGP contrast that with the very late decision last year to pull the audience out of the Danish final but which still went ahead with a lot of the camera angles pre-planned and you got lots of views of the MG arena it was lifeless but actually when you're making this for a TV audience knowing that you maybe can't do those big you know, panning shots of a of a crowd. Um, they you know they've they've got the opportunity to plan ahead for this. So I think we've got something which could look really interesting on stage. What will be interesting is where you normally have the level playing field of the same stage and the same effects available to people to use as they will. This year, you've got the potential that we might get some or all performances shot on different stages, different studios. So we haven't got that, the thread of the stage that hangs it all together mm. unless all of the, the delegations do get to go and perform live um, in Rotterdam. So that's going to be an interesting variant as well, depending on whether we have to use some of the tapes or or, or mm. not. I think that there's a there's a new level of creativity. You know, I don't work in TV production. You know, I've seen it from behind the scenes what goes on, but I don't really understand it. But you can just really see that there's there's probably going to have to be a new way of 
thinking and I, I've never been more aware of the amount of shots to capture to, to the crowd and to audience in the last year because you think oh oh yeah you do have to you've got like half the camera shots to rethink about like you know you can't cut away to this so you're gonna have to cut away to something you know what they could do I guess as if they're still unsure about what the audience is going to be and how big they are they could keep the performance um, camera shots very much focused on the stage and then it's much easier to feed in some crowd shots at the end or in the bits between songs or you know when the when the the hosts are on stage for example it's much easier to slot them in or do tighter um, edits if you need to so if I were producing this and obviously I've no experience in this either I think that's what I'd be tempted to do keep it very focused on the on the acts during the performance and then you know go to the arena relevant to how you are able to go relevant to what you can get from the arena in those um, in those in-between shots the thing is it's not as if it's the same but in 2018 in Lisbon it was a slightly amended contest on what we might be aware of because there was no LEDs well a couple of countries broke the rules a little bit but there was no LED so it was a slightly it gave us a different visual on stage mm-hmm. even different sound actually it was, it was weird how it affected uh, the contest and I like that because it gave that particular year a particular flavour a particular trait personality and I think this is what this year is going to be it's going to be the Covid year and it's going to be seen in that way so I'm really interested just to see what that throws up and how staging is going to be. You know, we spoke about staging and how important it's going to be this year, more than ever. So there's all these little sort of things coming into play now, which might not have been as important or as different uh, in previous years. It'll be interesting to see how many people the delegations bring to put on the stage as well. Yeah. Obviously, you can still have your six, but because of allowing recorded backing vocals this year, it does allow you to have a choral sound with only one performer on stage. And I know that some countries already do this by having one featured artist on stage and having backing singers that are off stage or on in the camera shots, but they don't need to bring those people this year. So it'd be interesting to see how many people still bring people to enhance the performance with the six people on stage and how many really cut back Mm. to, you know, just the... The, the bare minimum artists that they need. It's gonna be we've got to enjoy it. You know, this is what we're this is the, the you know the the hand that we've been dealt. Mm-hmm. So um yeah. I'm, I'm gutted that I'm not gonna be there. It was a sad poignant moment when your tickets were refunded. My as I I mean it was lovely again seven hundred <laughs> quid back in the bank. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. But you know when you so gone through the angst of, am I going to get tickets this year? This is all pre-COVID. You know, and you get them and you pay for them and you're like, I'm, you know, and you're getting very excited. And obviously, you know, they're going to be extended. And then the whole, yeah, we didn't know what was going to happen. So to have your tickets cancelled was, was a sad moment because it just underlined what you already knew that, you know, you weren't going to be able to be there in the audience live this year. But... What is there to go for as a fan? You know, there may be some peripheral events on a low-key or stripped-back basis, but it doesn't look like there's going to be the things that, you know, we like to do, which the Euroclub to go out with our friends and, you know, all of the, the parties, etc. That's not going to be able to It's happen. not festival. So it's not the same 
for the experience of being mm. on the ground. But obviously, that's a tiny proportion of people who enjoy Eurovision. The vast majority is a TV audience. And we're still going to get a TV show. We're still going to get voting. We're still going to get a winner. Yeah, and actually, we get to do something, Monty, that we don't get very often. And that is to spend Eurovision at home with your Eurovision friends. We can have a Eurovision party at home, which... I've not done that for ages. Only six of us legally in the UK by the 22nd of May, but still... More than one person's a party, Monty. (laughs) (laughs) If there's two of you, it's a fucking party. (laughs) Chin chin. Cheers. (laughs) I'm looking forward to it. I I really, really think this will be a contest to to remember. It's going to be a unique contest. And I think after having a year off um, for everybody and after me having a year off before that because I wasn't able to go to Tel Aviv, this really does feel like we need this now. We need this to be a success. We need this to work. And I'm looking forward to seeing what we get. So let's have a look at the automatic finalists. Well, Monty, let's start with the Netherlands, our host country. Um, the song is Birth of a New Age by returnee Jean-Gu McCoy. Monty, what are your thoughts on the Netherlands? Because you liked last year's song. Do you know, sometimes there is a song that comes along with such majesty that it takes you a while to realise it. And last year's Netherlands song was that. It was called Grow and it really grew on me. It wasn't instant, which... It's a questionable quality in a Eurovision song, given most people are hearing them for the first time. But there was something about that song and its introspection and its beauty that was just absolutely stunning. So I was really, really looking forward to seeing what Jungu was able to bring this year. And I have to say, when I first saw this on the premiere live performance... I was a bit disappointed. But when I saw the video the next day, I was absolutely wild. There is something absolutely staggeringly beautiful about this video. And it made me listen to the song in a different way. The song is epic. It's talking of identity. It's talking of resilience. It's got echoes of the the slave era in Suriname uh, and it's got flavours of his home country and I just think it's coming together it's bringing something truly groundbreaking to the Eurovision stage well we get a new language we've got was it uh, Suranan Tongo I don't know if I said that but a new language but the style as well the style and the theme and everything that he's bringing this is just staggering. And, you know, there's elements of him, you know, being a, an openly queer artist in the video as well. I, oh, I just love it. I absolutely love it. 
I'm a little worried that when I first saw it in a presentation, it didn't have the impact that the video has. And what I want is for everybody to have that wow effect that I got from the video. Because if people get that, this could do really, really well. But I think this is just absolutely stunning. Mm. I think he's done something really difficult to achieve, and that is to come back with something different, um, but still maintain the quality. Because we know we've said before in the previous episodes, people have come back with two point zero versions of their song. That's not a criticism. It's just something you know. It's just a hard thing to do. He's come back with something completely different. I think it completely works. We really are blessed to have him. I think in the in the competition. You know, this is why I love Eurovision. Is that you get all these different cultures, you know, expressed, presented, told on stage. You know, there's a, there's a story here, um, whether you fully understand it or understand everything about it, but you, you you just know that there's a story being told and he's one of these artists that's, that's doing that for me. I don't want to talk about diversity and all that sort of stuff. It, is, it just, you know, it just is what it is. It's great that he's here. It makes me want to sit up and watch. I just hope, like you... It, it does have that wow impact because I had exactly the same thing. I was like, ah, okay, with the live performance. Yet when the video came, I was like, ah, no, I get it. And when I listened to it on the playlist, I'm like, yeah, I'm vibing with it. Just, is that going to come out in the live performance? Fingers crossed it does. Let's hope so. Song two, France. Voila, by Barbara Pravi. Voila, there you are then. There you go, fuck off. <laughs> That's my favourite. That's a bit harsh. <laughs> no, no. Look, uh, talking of a nuanced performance, we spoke about it last week. This is that for me. It's uh, not an easy thing to achieve. Uh, and Barbara does this really well. She's a pro at this sort of thing. Uh, you can tell she can deliver this message down the lens. And we know this because she won a national final doing that which I always think kind of means something. Personally, I'm a bit bored of the song now, but that's me in my position, having listened to it lots and watched the national final and have been immersed in Eurovision. I think for first-time listeners, aka voters, I think they'll feel it. So I feel like this has got quite a good chance of doing well. What about you? I agree with it having a chance of doing well. I find it very French. I find it's very it's French. Very <laughs> French. You know, she's channeling PF, not just in the sound, but in her look as well. And it could only be a French song. And it's kind of that timeless genre. I think there's some really, really interesting imagery in the video. There's some mm. very menacing dancers 
um, around her. There's a bit in the train carriage where she's walking down and the dancers in sort of, you know, in mass dancers are sort of in and out of the, the train carriages and walking down and sort of behind her in the, in the corridor. And then they carry on this sort of menacing dance around her um, outside of the, the train. I think it's a really striking visual. And all the while the song is building and building and building. But it gets to that point where it just descends into this frenzied vocal and it becomes a little bit cacophonous for me. And when it gets there, I don't know what it is. It's irrational because I can't say why, but it's quite visceral in the sense that I just lose it completely. Feels like it's building into something interesting, and then I get to that point, and every time I listen to it, I just go, "No, I've had enough of that," and it spoils my whole enjoyment of the song. Mm. And I don't know what it is, and I, you know, whether people react similar to that, or whether they, you know, that sort of frenzied cacophony is something that people are looking for or responding to, and it gives it that extra edge to. To, to drive it to success, I don't know. But for me, it's the strangest thing. I've never had this kind of reaction, I think, where something at that point in the song just makes me lose it entirely. And once it happens, I cannot engage in that song again. But I can start listening to it again and go, oh, actually, this is quite mm. good. Get to that point and it just loses it every single time for me. If you're saying that, maybe others might. But I mean, it's a very French song winning a French national final. So that's also to be considered. Like uh, the judges, uh, the panel were wax and lyrical about it. And I wonder how much of that really translates. I don't know, but I, I, I think it will. The song number three then is Germany um, with I Don't Feel Hate, sung by social media star Jendrick. Monty, what are, you, what are your thoughts on this? Well, I think however much you like this is going to be quite commensurate with how endearing you find the banjolele. <laughs> because he twangs it. Um, I think it's it's a it's an interesting thing to do. If you're going to if you're gonna land one of the most divisive songs of the year, it's quite interesting to preface it with a, a theme that is saying even if you hate this, I don't care. Mm. Because it's hard to land a blow then. And it's just it is a bit of a divisive and a bit of a risky song, I think, because it's a it's a particular style and it could grate very, very easily. But what I think Gendrick does is have the charm to pull this off. It's really interesting because it starts with that kind of sort of, you know, twangy ukulele. And then it kind of sort of bursts into something a lot more energetic. And actually, when that happens, I'm like, oh, okay, this could go somewhere. And then there's, there's all sorts of little in-jokes, like him introducing the tap break and then, you know, saying, oh, well, I hope you've had a nice life. See you. My three minutes are up. And I don't know, there's something about him that... I, I, he says, don't feel hate. It, 
the style is a style I hate. I'm sorry <laughs> about that. But yeah, I don't hate him. There's something I re- I want to like him. I kind of want this to do well, even though I kind of do hate it. Yeah, it's low on my list. I've got to say, it's cutesy. It's watchable. He's watchable. It's probably what many people would say is a Eurovision song. <laughs> I can't feel it in the same way that others do. It is divisive. Songs like this rarely do well at Eurovision. But I want to, yeah, I just want to point out Malta 2013, the song Tomorrow, Gianluca Bezzini, starts exactly the same way. Ding, 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 ding. You know, just that ukulele sound. That came eighth. I think that I was trying to rack my brain thinking, what else of this ilk, what song of this ilk has done well? Yeah, I think, I can't, I can't think of it. I think this is going to do much better than most people think. And I think that's because of the charm and the energy that he brings. I think that's what sells the song rather than the song itself. Yeah, maybe it's not so cutesy actually. Come to think about it, that's not the right word because he isn't cutesy. He's got, isn't there someone dressed up as like the finger, middle finger being pointed out in the video? Yeah. Like it, it, it's, yeah, it's not cutesy actually. I'm like you. I don't like the song at all. I never listened to it. But when it's presented on stage, I don't know whether I'd have any problem with it. I was like, yeah, all right, fine. I think it's not quite the dark horse as in, because that implies that something's going to, you know, come and either win or challenge it to win. I don't think it's going to do that. But I don't think it's going to come anywhere near the bottom end of the scoreboard that people are predicting it. That's why you go divisive, because of that reason. Like, you're not going to get a load... Everyone's got it as their 11th place. Therefore, even though it was 11th place, you got no points. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, people hated this and gave it nothing. But some people quite liked it and, and gave it 12s. And, and you can't vote against the Soviet Eurovision. There's a televoter. You can only vote for it. Exactly. So, yeah. Italy, Moniskin with Zite Buoni. Matt, we sat through San Remo this year, another five days, another 75 hours a night. I sat through San Remo more than I ever have. I know because I've got a badge to prove it. Because I actually, <laughs> they were giving out badges. <laughs> ESC Insight, our friends oh, over yes. at ESC Insight, <laughs> were giving out badges and I won one because I managed to get the, the code words and all the things. That, basically, like <laughs> they knew if you're in it for the long haul, you deserve something out of it. <laughs> but with more than a badge, San Remo was lit this year. It was such a good... I implore anyone, we said it last year, and we'll say it again this year, I implore anyone, watch San Remo. Because it's, it's, you don't have to watch it intensely. Have it on in the background, do other things. It's so good. Some things you think, what the fuck is going on? But it's so, so good. So many, there are so many talking points, which maybe we'll talk about some of them in the episode. But, you know, there are so many songs that could have won uh, and, and then done well at Eurovision. Mm-hmm. It was high quality. If you're unsure 
why Italy do well at Eurovision year after year, then San Remo is the answer to that because you just, you watch it and you think, ah, there's great songs that don't even get a look in. We need music like Moneskin. We need this kind of music at Eurovision for variety and to keep people's attention and for energy levels and just, it's not my kind of music, but I love it. And that's what I like about Eurovision. Exactly that for me. It's not my style of music, but I love this. And there's something about, and we will talk about San Remo when we get to the Italy episode, but there's something about the way a song has the opportunity to build momentum yes. as it goes through the week, because it's going to be performed three times over the five nights, but you're going to get to know the artist as well over that time. I think there was an element of them having a lot of fans who were voting online. They stormed the public vote section of the the, the way that the San Remo vote is convolutedly put together. They were by far and away the winners in the public section. And that's what carried them to victory. But regardless, this just had such a fantastic energy to it. On that Saturday night, there was just this passage of several artists together, including guests, that was just some of the most stunning music TV I've ever seen. The the energy and the performances in this just it was just brilliant. And you know, the 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 recurring guest of Akili Lara, who just turned up the the drama and the creativity every single night that he performed. But yeah, this is brilliant. Not my style of music, but I love the energy and the, the, the freneticness that this is bringing. And I think this will do really, really, really well. Uh, 100%. This is top 10. It's potentially a winner. Maybe. I don't know. Again, this is the year of who the fuck knows who's going to get points from where and ha- routes to victory are all over the place. Yeah, all right. Okay. So from something that could win to something that's probably not going to, <laughs> it's over to Spain. It's Blas Canto with Voy a Quedarme. <laughs> Oh, bless. Uh, I do. I really like this. I'm so desperate for a song in Spanish to win. I adore, adore, adore Spanish pop so much. And I listen to this and I think this is a really lovely song. I don't think it has the power uh, that Universo did last year, but I think it's probably a better song than that. But I think it's equally as doomed. Mm. I don't know what it is about Spain. I mean, you know, maybe, you know, when we talk about the UK and the fact that, you know, we have difficulty getting out of the lower portion of the scoreboard. And, you know, Spain do burst out there. They've had a couple of top tens in the past decade. But I don't know. I just, I as much as I like this, I can't see how it's going to 
find success in the voting at Eurovision in this year's contest with this year's set of songs. This is winning Eurovision if Spanish fans can vote for it, right? Because we know you Spanish fans love and are fiercely proud of your entries, rightly so. And I would be fiercely proud of Blast, but this just is just not going to do well. And I, I feel... I feel for the Spanish fans because we've said on this podcast a million times before how much we'd love them to win and go and present and, you know, host Eurovision. Take me to Spain. Just please win in my lifetime, Spain, please. You know, but you're right. It's not as good as last year. I would have chosen the other song in this selection, personally. We are going to have a Spanish episode. We'll talk about that. I think there are going to be many, many Spanish fans who are going to be disappointed on the Sunday after Eurovision. But if anything, Spanish fans have learned to live with disappointment. And I love their optimism. I love the fact that every year they think they're going to do it. Yeah. And they've not been broken down like the UK fans have. Yeah. We're we're, we're like... Our expectations (laughs) are low. Yeah, they're like the young upstarts that still have passion and energy in the UK are like, mm, okay, hold, hold on to that energy, guys. <laughs> hold on to your comments because the UK is coming next. It's James Newman with Embers. Embers, you and I gonna light up the room. Out of the embers, you and I gonna Let's start, first of all, with James himself. What are your thoughts on him as an artist going to Eurovision? I'm really for it because he brings such enthusiasm to it. And, you know, we know that he's uh, he's got pedigree as a songwriter. So, you know, we know he's been behind big hits. And I think to get somebody who is you know, a credible songwriter and also has the enthusiasm and also has the will to want to do Eurovision is a rare combination in the UK. So let's bloody celebrate yeah. it. Who's represented and, you know, with BMG and is, and is part of a, you know, he's not just knocking about social media. Mm-hmm. That, not that other artists have been, but do you know what I mean? Like he's 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 in a, a credible place in our in our industry. You can't say we've not pulled from our industry. We have, mm-hmm. we have with James. And this sounds like a chart song, you know. And we've said for a long time, we've got a great music industry. Why don't we send something from our music industry? This sounds like the kind of stuff that you would hear. You know, it, it doesn't sound like a Eurovision song. So. Again, I'm all for getting behind this. Um, I really like the fact that he's thought about what people might want to hear this year. And he's been, you know, we need to bring a banger. We need to have some fun. And again, I think that's a really, really sensible way of approaching this. Is it a banger? Uh, I think I say yes. I say yes, because when I first heard it, I felt energised. I was like, yes. I can see myself dancing to this, drinking my hand, dancing. Yes. So, 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 yes is the answer to that question. But there's something missing. It feels very, 
I don't know. I asked my I asked my flatmate. I said, "What do you think?" And he was like, "Don't like it." I'm like, "Okay, why?" And he said, "It's like a Jess Glynn sort of early 2010s 2000s type Sigala B side. It's not bad. There's nothing wrong with it, but it's." It's nothing to get excited about because I don't think it's a step forward for the UK. Interesting, though, his comments, not mine, but I kind of understand where that sort of thought process is coming from. I'm willing to give the BBC and BMG you know, benefit of the doubt and do anything that they can and James, but I feel like this is going to deliver exactly the same results as previous Eurovisions, I think. I'm a little bit more optimistic than that. Because I think it is a really nice, upbeat song. Um, It's jolly. You want to tap your toe to it. And I'm optimistic that people will buy into that. But if I put my realism hat on, there is something that makes me think, is this that, that infamous everybody's 11th place? You know, this is not going to be at the bottom of people's lists. But is it going to be at the top sufficiently that it's going to score consistently? Is it going to be the one that you pick the phone up for? Because people don't tend to vote for more than two or three. You know, is it going to be enough to get into that bracket to make you want to say, that's the one I want to vote for? And if you're a juror, is it going to be consistently enough in the top 10 songs or is it going to be just outside? Because if it's just outside, it's not at the bottom. But if it's just outside, it's not getting any points either. Yeah, and, and that's, that's the problem, my, isn't it? That's my fear for this. And I think that, you know, we analyse and we think and we process and we data search and all manner of things. And we, you know, we look at this. And I don't think that your average Eurovision viewer things like that. They don't go through that process of, well, you know, if it could have been everybody's 11th place and got nothing. If it gets nothing, you're a flop in the public perception. And my biggest fear at the moment is that we have another flop from the UK, which sets the process back another few steps. That's an important point to make because I was kind of seeing um, last, not last year, where are we? 2019, where we came last place with Michael Rice and you can sort of see why and you know there was questions asked off afterwards like you know but why that wasn't the worst song in the competition it's like yeah but guys understand how it works because it's not a case of why didn't you understand them because the the, the the you've got a set of songs and you have they have to be ranked from one to, to last place whatever the number and that doesn't mean that the song in number one is the best song in the world and then the song in last place is the worst song in the world. It doesn't work like that. It's just that it, it simply didn't garner enough votes. And that, there's a slight difference in the way you, you look at that. So I think that's going to be the problem with James in the UK this year. I'm still very happy with the way the BBC are, within its own restrictions, <laughs> let's just say that, within its own restrictions, trying to find a way forward and give the UK a best place at Eurovision. That's not an easy task. And I know it's really easy to say, oh, bloody BBC, give it to ITV, or bloody, you know, BBC don't know what they're doing. Well, sometimes it's not as straightforward as that. And when you talk to the BBC team, when they're 
maybe you've had a few drinks and are willing to talk to you a bit more than normally would, <laughs> you find out a little bit more. So look, I'm happy. I'm proud of our entry. I'm going to support James all the way to the end. I love him to bits. And I like the song. It's, it's, it's like my 14th or 15th place. But that's the problem, isn't it? That's what we're talking about. That's the problem. I'm keeping everything crossed because I really would like to see this do well. I think it is a good enough song to warrant at least a mid-table performance. But you've just got to not fall out of that bracket of getting the scores to enable you to do that. There we go. We love you, James, always and forever. So they are our six songs with the top six or big five and the host nation. And that's it then. We've we've laid our mark down and we've said what we think could happen and what we think. So why don't you tell us what you think? You can contact us on Twitter at Second Cherry, Instagram, second underscore cherry, Facebook, Second Cherry Podcast, or you can email us at hello at secondcherry.vision. Hello at secondcherry.vision vision not dot com dot com is for losers it's dot vision thank you very much so you've heard our thoughts as a preview to eurovision what we're doing is we're going to come back after eurovision and bring you a, a further bonus episode where we're going to take a little look back at what eurovision was and then that will be a week ahead of the season kicking off this year where we will have the entries for you in this year's Second Cherry Song Contest. Ooh, excited. I've just done a little wee in my pants. We've got some special guests. I've got a mop in that cover <laughs> soak yourself up. Look, uh, special episodes, milestone episodes, special guests. We've got it all this year. So stick around. We're going to try and keep it maybe... Briefer than we have in previous years. Don't know. Depends how drunk we get. We we don't know. We don't care. So <laughs> we're really contingent. Um, but yeah, we're looking forward to this year. We think we're going to bring you the best yet, the best cherries yet, the ripest cherries. <laughs> Join us in that journey. We hope you've enjoyed our bonus episodes. We can't wait to get back and have the regular episodes for you over the summer. Thank you for listening. And we'll see you soon. See you later. Enjoy Eurovision. Bye. Bye.